The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Thank you so much for joining us one more time here on Afternoons with Mike on the Shepherd Radio Network, heard in Orlando, also Ocala, The Villages, and Gainesville. Happy to have you all along with us in the studio with me today, meeting him for the first time, Paul Del Favero. Welcome to my program. Thank you very much, Mike. It is so good to have you here. You came recommended from a friend that's been on our radio program a couple of times, Gary Wilson, who is a prominent attorney in the Orlando area and also a part of Orangewood, the, the church in Central Florida. And that's where you go too, right? Yes, sir. I was introduced to him by a mutual friend. That's really great. He's a great guy, isn't he? Absolutely. Now, your story is is uh, one that I think when people hear the word someone who spent time in a state prison, you did that a long time. You were there. Uh, you So you've come out of being a felon, and you are living, I believe, a life that is bringing glory to God in what you're doing right now. You're forming a new organization. It is a, a nonprofit, and uh, we're going to be hearing even more about that in our next segment. But if you will, Paul, tell us a little bit about your story, where you grew up, how it was that you ended up getting in trouble with the law. Well, uh, to start from the beginning, I was brought to South Florida with my family after being born in Queens Astoria, New York. I was about two, and uh, my family decided they wanted to get out of New York and thought that uh, South Florida would be a great place to raise a family, so we moved down there. I mean, Miami area, uh, Broward County, Deerfield mm -hmm. Beach, actually, yeah, is where okay. I grew up. I mean, I, I'm going back to the beginning. I, I don't know how far you want me to. Oh, that's great. Why yeah, the tape sure. back? But so we're down there, and I guess my my childhood was as good or bad as anyone else's. Um, my parents got divorced when I was at a pretty young age. I think I was around eight. I have like large swaps of my childhood that I can't remember. Um, mm -hmm. my mom had some issues back in the day and my father was, uh, I, I don't want to say he was, a, was a gangster, but he wasn't the most law abiding citizen there was in the world. He meant well, but, uh, he kind of had a checkered upbringing himself. So, you know, him doing the best he could as my dad maybe led me down a few of the wrong paths. Um, so I was in Broward County and I was, I was a straight A student. I did really well in school. I, you know, I, I wasn't a dummy and I just was, uh, I guess dealing with a lot of things internally as, as all kids do. And then I was, uh, introduced to, uh, drugs at a very young age. Um, you know, my mom had, was like a kind of a former hippie, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And she had a little weed in the house and I had some other friends and we got a hold of that and tried that out when I was a kid. And, I kind of liked the way that was going, you know, I was young, just like 12. And, uh, you know, it's funny now at, at, I'm 50 now, by the way, looking, looking back and seeing kids my age. And I think about what I was doing. Like I, I, I can't believe how truly young I was when I started down the path I started on mm -hmm. to, to look back and see children, you know, the, the age I was then and see how, 
just how small they are. It, it, it's 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 mind blowing to me. But yeah, you hear stories about young guys just really killing other people with guns and seemingly having their consciences already ripped out of them. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, that's a, it's just it. You're not really in a good position to make decisions at that age, obviously. Mm-hmm. So you know, here I am, you know, dabbling with this, that, and the other. And I guess you know, in my childhood, but going through the pain I was going through, wherever I felt. I was kind of like a little fat kid and I was, you know, I was having issues like any other kid. But when I guess when I found like basically a release when it came to drugs, that was, uh, it was something that I definitely liked. Mm-hmm. Um, right around this time, you know, it was, it was the early eighties crack cocaine hit the streets in South Florida and everything you've seen or heard. It was absolute pandemonium down there in South Florida when crack cocaine hit the streets. I, I, I mean, they were, people were selling crack everywhere Mm -hmm. and everyone was doing i remember watching a commercial as a kid and i'd already been you know smoking cocaine now at age 13 and i saw a commercial where they were talking about crack and the guy's in his jail cell and he says i'm not a crack addict i'm a rock monster and i was like wow i wonder what that stuff is little did i know i'd already been smoking it Mm -hmm. yeah we didn't call it crack we just called it freebase so i had got turned on to that by a friend of mine's brother but the funny part about that, or the not so funny part, is the first crack cocaine I ever saw in my life, my father gave to me to sell in school. So, as I said, my father had a few uh, twisted yeah. ideas on mm-hmm. parenting. Yeah. Not that he was a bad guy, not that he didn't mean well. I guess he was trying to, you know, prepare me for the streets or, or you know, make me a, a salt of the earth person in his mind or what have you. But Rather uh, misguided, though. <laughs> Yeah, looking back, obviously, I, I don't yes. think that would be in, you know, Dr. Yeah. Spock's, you know, parenting book for sure. <laughs> Things you should avoid. Yeah. That, so, you know, here I am in South Florida. I'm young. I'm 13. Um, I'm doing drugs. I'm getting high. And as you were talking, you know, prior about, you know, kids that age not really having a conscience or much anything, I was, I was one of those kids. And I really started down kind of a violent kind of just kind of crazed path on, on the drugs, for lack of a better word. Um, it was a very dark time. And and I truly, truly, looking back at my drug usage and all the things I went through in my addiction, I mean, it, it's truly a real demonic thing when I look mm-hmm. back on it. I mean, I, I've read in the Bible now that I'm a believer, I can look back and kind of compare it to where I was at in my life prior. And it talks about, you know, letting a demon in, but then casting that demon out and that demon coming back with seven others. Yes. I mean, uh, I, I think my demons are there seven times seven. I was, uh, mm. I was in a bad state of mind. I was out of control. My parents were divorced. My mom had no idea what to do with me. I was, I was at like age 13 or 14, I was like six foot tall and like 230 pounds. Like I was a big kid and, uh, I conducted myself pretty much as what I thought was an adult then and basically moved out of my house and went on my own at a very early age, dropped out of school in sixth grade and just pursued my uh, drug and alcohol career. And I guess somehow in my mind, I thought I was going to be, you know, some kind of gangster or whatever I thought I was Mm going to be. And uh, I ended up on a real dark road by, uh, you know, by the end of my addictions and everything I had been in, you know, drug rehabs. I had been in, you know, boot camps. I had been in the juvenile, you know, detention system. I had been in juvenile courts. I'd been arrested for this, that, or the other. And yeah. uh, so you were in the JDC then. Oh yeah, yeah. So now that I've done a lot of uh, ministry in JDCs, in the one in Orange County and in, in Orlando, 
that is, I felt a dark place too. I mean, it's, that had to be pretty rough, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, juvenile detention is basically just gladiator school. I mean, you just go in there and fight. I mean, that's, that was really all it was then. I don't know what it's like now, thank God. But back then it was, uh, mm. it was not a very, uh, yeah. uh, chill environment for like no, a better not, word. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, just a real tough existence. I ended up in a boot camp place here in Orlando from age 15 and a half till 18 years old. And I, you know, looking back, it wasn't a, a pleasant experience, but I feel like that was a part of what saved my life. Cause I mean, I was, uh, I, I was a real mess. You know, like you were saying at, at that young age, you don't have a lot of good reasoning properties within your mind to begin with. And you add a bunch of cocaine mm-hmm. and everything else to that, to that mix and firearms. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't end real well. So my uh, mom found a place up here in Orlando called straight incorporated. And they literally came and kidnapped me out of South Florida, tied me to a chair in a van and drove me up here to Orlando. And I was in there for, like I said, two and a half years. Now that happened under the blessing of your parent then. My mother, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, um, I'm not sure the legalities of the place, you know, doing that to juveniles. I mean, we would, and that was, you know, quote unquote, gladiator school as well, but they just wouldn't let you out. It was off old Silver Star Road here in Orlando. Mm. And I was, I was there for a while. And uh, when I turned 18, I got out and I went back down to South Florida and so far, you haven't been arrested with all of this, I've right? I've been arrested as a juvenile for little petty things, but nothing mm-hmm. nothing real serious at this okay. point. I did have a... I got... I got what, what happened when my mom was so desperate trying to find me help, you know, she turned to the legal system and that didn't really... Uh, it didn't go the way she thought. They would say, oh, well, if you, know, you, you press charges on Paul or if you do this, that or whatever, then, you know, we'll get him help, which really wasn't the case. They, she would, you know, make up a charge or do something to try to get them to arrest me to kind of get me help. And then uh, all I was doing is kind of adding to my criminal record and I was getting no rehabilitation. So, you know, she was doing what she could on her end. I don't fault her. I mean, I was out of control. I was young and, you know, people were, you know, desperate trying to figure out a plan to try to, you know, my mom was trying to save her kid, but, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it didn't work out the way any of us really planned. So I had been in some trouble there. When I got out at 18, that's really when, uh, when all my trouble really began. Okay. I, I stayed stayed clean for a little bit when I got out and then I got right back on that dark road. Like I spoke of earlier, the demons came back seven times seven boy. And I was, uh, that's a common tale, isn't it? Yeah. For somebody getting out of some sort of incarceration, they're not out of it long before they're right back in the throes of problems. Well, you know, you could, you could take the person out of the mess, but if you don't change the person from inside, right, they're going to go right back and do what they, That's all I, they know. You know, you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I had no direction. I, I went literally from like playing army men and, and little league baseball to like smoking cocaine and, 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 and injecting drugs. Like I went from one extreme to the other. I mean, here I was at 18 with, uh, you know, never really had much of a job, never really had like a checking account, never, you know, I didn't have anything. Like I was like a, just like an off grid, out of control person for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. I had no guidance. I had no understanding of how the world works at that age, except for dr- just drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. And so what happened uh, to get you landed in, in the jail? Well, I went back on my, uh, my previous endeavors and, just kept digging the hole deeper and deeper and getting in some legal trouble and 
you know, I, I thought I was pretty slick. I had a little private attorney and I'd give him a little money and I would, you know, go do whatever crimes I was doing. And, you know, I felt like I was, you know, <laughs> I guess some, somehow in my brain, I felt like this was all a good idea and I was somewhat untouchable in what mm-hmm. I was doing. You were beating the system. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, for a while, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, I can tell you one thing. What's the old song? I fought the law and the law won. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's it. So here I was, you know, deep in the throes of my addiction. Every thought coming into my mind was a good one. And believe me, none of them were good. And by the time it was all said and done, I could bore you with all the details of all the stuff I was doing. And I, I don't really tell stories about the crimes and things I, I mm-hmm. did because people either one think you're a sociopath or two, they think you're lying. So I just don't discuss it. And I'm sure anyone listening to this who's been down the road I've been down can completely mm-hmm. uh, relate to that statement. Right. So by age 20, I was in the county jail and I was, f- I was facing a lot of time for a lot of different property crimes. Um, None of these were violent crimes against people. There was no... They put me under a thing called the Evelyn Gort Career Criminal Act. It was a... a, Basically, the Florida prison systems and judicial systems label like a burglary, quote-unquote, as a violent crime because it has Mm -hmm. a potential for violence. Mm -hmm. But no, no one was hurt in the commission of my crimes. You know, the ones I was charged for, no one... You know, it was just property crimes. I was charged for stealing, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with stolen property, you know, grand thefts, things like that. But uh, I kind of had a bad reputation with the local law enforcement. They didn't like me. I didn't like them. And you know, like I said, I, I I was not a nice person and I made a lot of very bad decisions mm-hmm. and I was very arrogant and I was very violent, you know, with them when they would pull up on me, I would, you know, I wouldn't surrender. We would fight. And it was just, it was I was not a nice person. I, mm-hmm. I don't know any other way to, to say it. You know, I was just not a nice person. I was lost in my addiction. I was I was a, a mess, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. I, I can't really emphasize enough how what a disaster I was. So I'm sitting in the county jail. They're uh, putting charges on me. Some I did, some I didn't do. And at one point, I was sitting in a courtroom in Broward County, And I had a judge tell me he was going to give me 120 years in Florida state prison. Wow. Yeah. I sat there in a courtroom that day and had a judge actually tell me that. So, um, you know, here I am, you know, in my early twenties, you know, facing a lifetime of incarceration. And I, I was, I was talking to you a little bit before we started recording and, you know, here I was in this jail cell and, I had never said a sincere prayer in my life. I had never, you know, I went to the Catholic church and stuff when I was a kid and, you know, no knock on the Catholic church. I don't, I don't, you know, but I I remember it was just a lot of, you know, people throwing water on me and then burning incense and, and kneeling at the pews. I don't remember a lot of anything other than, other than Mm -hmm. I, I didn't have a good experience with church when I was young and the few times I had been. And then here I am in this jail cell and I would just felt so dark and so alone and mm-hmm. so lost. I mean, lost doesn't even mean to describe it, but mm. I, I was just a drift. Yeah. Lost a drift. And I got on my knees and I prayed in that jail cell. And I think it might've been one of the first sincere things I'd ever done. Definitely one of the first sincere things I did since I was in the throes of my addiction. And, and it wasn't, uh, 
it wasn't like a really nice prayer. It was like, God, I don't believe you exist. If you do, you need to show yourself to me. You know, you're supposed to be all forgiving. You're supposed to be all that. Well, if you really are there, you need, you need to reveal yourself to me. And I said this prayer and I didn't ask God to get me out of prison and I didn't ask him for anything. I just told him I couldn't stand to feel the way I was feeling anymore. I couldn't stand being in the grips of that addiction. I mean, my addiction had me so wrapped that like I had no choice in the matter. When I finally would get some sleep and then I would wake up, it was literally like hands would grab me and throw me out to go do stuff for all in the next day. It was literally like just being possessed by something other than myself, forcing mm-hmm. me back out of the streets to do the things I was doing. And uh, the next morning, what they were doing during this time is every morning they would take me to magistrate court and they were dumping felonies on me it's what they call clearing the books and the detectives will take any kind of crimes that are unsolved that kind of fit your mo and they'll just throw a bunch of charges on you and they know most of them won't stick but they try anyway so every day they kept bringing me down and throwing these felonies on me and throwing felonies on me and i went to court the next day and i'm i'm talking to god on the way i'm like you know god i prayed to you last night for the first time and I, I told you I didn't want to feel this way anymore. I dared you, you know, like, and, and this is how you do me, huh? You're going to let him bring me back to court and put more felonies on me again today. F you, I'm never praying again, blah, blah, blah. I get in the courtroom. The judge is in there. I start cussing him out and everything. And the, the judge is looking at me like I'm an alien, you know, and I'm, and, and finally he says, are you done? And I was like, yeah, I guess. And he's like, I'm like, what's going on? And he says, you know why you're here? I said, yeah, you guys just keep throwing these charges on me every day. Stuff I, I didn't even do. And he's like, you're here for a misdemeanor traffic ticket. And I was like, what? He says, you're here for a misdemeanor. I said, uh, uh, oh, okay. And he says, how do you plead? I said, guilty. He said, okay, time served. They walked me out of the courtroom and I was like, okay, God. All right. It sounds silly, but that was like when God first said, I got you. Mm -hmm. I went from felony to a misdemeanor the next day. Wow. My guest today in the studio, Paul Del Favero, will be right back after this. Are you looking for the right franchise to open your own business? Green Flag Franchise has the experience and knowledge to help match your business plan with your goals and values. Is your business ready to become a franchise? Green Flag Franchise will help you explore the potential and benefits of franchising your existing company. For a free consultation and coaching, visit GreenFlagFranchise.com. That's GreenFlagFranchise.com. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Turning 65 or already on Medicare? Have you tried to compare Medicare supplement plans? Are you sick and tired of the awful TV commercials where washed-up football players confuse you even more? Speak with a licensed independent insurance agent today. Call 407 407- 965-4166 now or visit Affordable One Insurance in Winter Park, Florida and discuss what is important for you. Be sure to ask us about dedicated senior medical centers. 
Welcome back to segment two here on our Labor Day program with Paul Del Favero. He was telling us all about this great experience. Carry on with that, man. You know, I know it sounds silly, but you wouldn't understand the profound effect it had on me. Oh, I don't think it's silly at all. I think it's amazing that you had an opportunity right in that moment that was a a chance. It was, if if you could have grabbed that fully, that might have changed a whole bunch of things for you in the future. Amen. So here I was going through the court proceedings. God bless my uh, attorney at the time. He was a guy named Michael Holden. He's deceased now, but he... uh, he really went to war for me. And, um, you know, I was facing a lot of time for a lot of property crimes and they really had it out for me. And, you know, I, I didn't have any family coming to court cause you know, the one time my mom came when they were, you know, threatened me with all this time, my mom basically kind of passed out in the courtroom and they, my lawyer and it was all like, don't let's not bring her back. And it, it was just, it was a real, it was a real dark time. And, all said and done after all the added charges and going back and forth to the courts and everything for a period of years by the, by the mid nineties, I got my final sentencing on everything. And I was sentenced to uh 25 years in Florida state prison, 25 years. Now the process of this uh, haggling backwards and forwards about these charges, that was a number of years right by itself, right? Yes, sir. And you were in jail that entire time. Yes, sir. So I don't think people realize that aspect of uh, when a person is arrested to the point where they're ultimately arraigned and, and let's say sentenced and then sent to prison can be a long time. So years. Or you can, or you can be like me, even make it to prison, and then they bring you back and file more charges on Right, you. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, that's really hard to believe in. And so now you're going to go to prison, and it's Florida State Prison. Yes, sir. And that was in Stark. Uh, well, that the Stark is the reception center. So there's there's a couple reception centers around the state. Stark being or uh, the North Florida one, mm-hmm. and then you have Orlando Reception Center here in in the. Uh, so you served in this area then, Orlando. I was all around the state. I initially went into South Florida Reception Center. Wow. Yeah. So out of out of South Florida, I went down to Miami over there off Chrome Ave. You were on the prison tour. Oh yeah, I've been all around the state. That's kind of what happens. It's almost like this Department of Corrections will say, Oh, you're from South Florida? Well, we're gonna send you to Okefenokee, Florida, up by, you know, Alabama. You know, it's like they I don't know, there's no rhyme or reason to it. I was uh I mostly stayed in the central and south Florida regions mm-hmm. my entire sentence, but I ended up doing a total of uh eighteen and a half years. Yeah, and again, I think that would be surprising to a lot of people because I think many people have the notion that no one ever serves the bulk of their their sentence. There's this thing that we hear often about release, and there, you know, you have people with violent crimes. I'm talking about murder might go in and spend five years, mm-hmm. and then they're released, and that's got to make people like you go, "Hey, <laughs> what's going on here?" I mean, I, I, I at one point told the judge, I said, I, I should have went in, in that house and molested your kids. Y'all would have gave me probation. I mean, as bad as that sounds, I would watch people in my 18 years in prison. I watched people revolving door in and out of that jail, in and out of prison, same charges over and over again. And they had, you know, I remember one guy came back five times. I saw him in and out during my sentence. Five times. I mean, that's really amazing. When you think about the, the word penitentiary. This is something that I've thought of for years, Paul, that the the root for all of that is repentant. And yet we know that people don't look 
by and large, they don't look at our, our reform system anymore in the standpoint of actually trying to, let's say, make people repentant. That you have, a, it's like a swinging door, isn't it? A, a revolving door. Five times somebody in the in your experience is in and out, and you see them again. That's got to be crazy. It, I mean, we could sit here and have hours long conversation of how the judicial system is broken. I mean, we could talk about that. I'm going to talk about me and my aspect mm-hmm. of it. I am not a person who's going to sit here and tell you that I didn't belong in prison. I absolutely belonged in prison. Now, you would be one of the first people I've ever talked to. Well, actually, you're out of prison. I'm grateful you're out of prison. When I visited prison prisons, I don't think I ever talked to anybody that felt they should have been there. No, absolutely. I, I, am, I, I deserve to go to prison. Whether I deserve to go for the time I did is something that can be debated. But that's what God's plan and purpose was for me. Maybe that's what he thought he needed to straighten me out. Um, I don't know. You know, he, he's got the bigger plan in place, not me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can tell you that I spent many of days in prison looking around at some of those people around me. And I was thankful that prison existed because some of the people I've met during my time, I would not r- want out around anybody I loved oh, and cared about. And I'm going to tell you that, you know, point blank. There mm-hmm. was some very twisted people behind mm-hmm. those gates. Now, not all. And there's a huge percentage of people that are people like me that, you know, made some mistakes, got messed up on drugs and derailed their life. And there they were. But I take responsibility for mine. Cause you know, even when my father was giving me drugs to sell, even when I was out doing the things I was doing, I still knew it was wrong. Mm-hmm. I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyway. So a, a big part of my walk with, with Christ and a big part of my ministry that I'm putting together now and everything we're doing is I, I really take responsibility for my actions. I, I am humble. I did it. And I'm trying to tell people what I did to change it. But, you know, he, so here I was in prison with all this time. And I started studying the Bible, started studying the word. And when I said that prayer, I asked God to remove my addiction from me. So I was in prison and I'll tell you how white knuckle Christian I was. I set up a drug buy for somebody while I was in the prison for them to get drugs off somebody I knew on the street and bring it in and they were going to pay me. Okay. I went down, they did what they did. They got the drugs into the prison and I went over to the, to the corner where they had them and they gave me my cut. And I remember I watched a guy do a hit of the cocaine and the paranoia set in him when he did it. And I remember watching this guy as I was starting to get high with the cocaine that was my part of the cut. So I start doing the cocaine. I'm watching him and I watched the guy go over and grab the bars in the jail cell and look out for the police. And I was like, this is pretty profound. And I just looked at the guy. I exhaled the hit of cocaine I did. I didn't even get high. It didn't do anything to me. Hmm. And I was like, okay, God. I gave the guy back the cocaine. I said, hey, buddy, they already got you. Yeah. <laughs> You're already locked no, up. No need looking. No anymore. need looking. Yeah. They got you. Here it is. And I just, I gave it back. I went and laid on my bunk and I went to chow and I ate some food. And I was like, all right, God, I didn't realize that you completely took the ability to get high from me when I said that prayer. Try to get high another time. And this was uh, New Year's Eve, 95, 96, smoking a little weed. Didn't work. The good Lord had completely removed my addiction. 
Wow. Completely gone. So the last time I even tried to do anything was like in 95. Now, remember, I told you I got <laughs> locked up in 92. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get it right away. Yeah. I, I, I did not get this right away. I did not get fully on this walk right away. God had a real work to do in me. I think a lot about scripture I've read since then. And it, I guess there's some theological debate about if you're predestined or if you, you know, you make a, a conscious decision to be saved. I don't know where all that's at. I'm not, I, I can't give you the answer, but I can tell you one thing, knowing my past and knowing the person I was, God absolutely had a plan and a predestination for me because mm-hmm. there was no way of my self will. I ever would have got on this walk. Yeah. There's no way it would happen. You spent 18 years of a 25 year during those years leading up, let's say at year 14, 15, did you have any idea that you might get released early? Was that ever a thought? Or did you just continue to think, I'm here for 25? You would earn a little time off each month. I knew I, a, a ballpark of what I was going to do you know, over the long run. But I remember sitting in prison, and after those experiences I was telling you about, that's when I decided to, to make a change. The Lord put some people in my life to kind of help me on my on my walk with, with God. And I started praying. I started studying the word. I started, because I, I, I said to myself, I said, I, if I, when you're that young with that much time, you really kind of feel like you're never going to get out. Mm-hmm. But I did say to myself, if I ever do get out, if I don't start working on myself now, there is no way I'm going to be successful when I, I'm going to end up coming right back to Just this like place. that guy you saw come back five times. And I did not want to be mm-hmm. that person. And as much time as I did in prison, I never felt like I belong there. And and don't take that wrong. I deserve to go there, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel like I belong there. I didn't feel like I was a person that needed to spend their life in prison. Yeah. And uh, the beautiful thing about citizenship in heaven, none of us belong here. <laughs> amen. Yeah, We're all on our way to our ultimate home. That is our true home. Amen. You can't earn your way to prison. That's no. all. It's all. It's all gift. Yeah. So, I started doing what I could do while I was incarcerated to prepare myself for release. Now, the Department of Corrections is not exactly a a bevy of self-improvement you can do in there. And trying to do your walk as a Christian, it's it's hard in those environments to really be the person you want to be because a lot of that would be perceived as weakness and Mm -hmm. it can make your time a lot harder on you. So. I did the best I could do. I mean, obviously, I could have probably done better in some areas while I was incarcerated, but I, I did the best I could do to put myself together, and I stayed in the Word, and I I tried to keep a smile on my face, and I, I tried to make the best of a, a, a bad situation, I guess I say, you know, and uh, I, I feel like my humor and, and just, just, it's so silly. I remember reading that Footprints in the Sand poem when I got mm-hmm. out, and I was looking at that, and that was like, like, you know, man, is that cliche, you know? And, and then I, I read it when I got out and all of a sudden one day I was like, you know, I could really see that. I could really see where God was doing a work yeah. in me while I was incarcerated. I could see how he got me through that and put the right people and the right things in my path to, you know, help make me successful when I get out. You know, I, it was, uh, like I said, I had no clue of what to do. All I knew was the life before me. And I feel that's a huge problem with people who were gone down the path I am of people who are incarcerated is they just, we just don't know any other way of life. 
Mm-hmm. We don't know. We don't know how quote unquote you regular people do it. We have no clue. Right. You know, as lost as you would be, you know, doing a dope deal or and doing things like that and, and doing the stuff I did. I was just as lost at how to conduct myself in everyday life. But I did know what the wrong thing was to do. A, a lot of my walk since I got out in the early days was not knowing what the right thing was, but definitely knowing what the wrong thing was and making a conscious decision not to do that. And that's wise. That's yeah. wise. Sometimes sometimes it it helps us to know what we shouldn't uh, be asking for, know what we shouldn't be doing, because we know that if we do that, we're going to end up right back in the same boat that you were in. Amen. I, I just kept... If it wasn't for my faith, I wouldn't have been successful. I'm not saying a person can't come out of out of prison and not and you know not have a walk with Christ and be successful. I'm not saying that. I'm saying for me, I had to have it. Mm-hmm. Me left to my own devices, I am an absolute disaster. And when it speaks about a renewing of a mind, about being reborn, about a transformation, all of that has taken place in my life due to Christ's involvement, due to me making myself open to him and his word. Mm -hmm. Me by myself, I wouldn't be here right now. I promise you that. I would not be here right now. Now, you said you were 38, I believe, when you got out? Yes, sir. I was 38 years old. So 38, what was life like when you first got out? What happened that made that prayer that you wouldn't end up back in prison again? What made that come to be? I mean, obviously, my... I mean, it, there was a lot of pieces to this puzzle, Mike. I, I'd say the biggest one was humility. Humility was probably the one of the biggest parts of this puzzle. Hmm. Yeah, I got involved in the church. Yeah, I had a ton of wonderful people help me out. I had a lot of you know people within the body of Christ pull together to help me. But my humility, I think, is what was paramount to my success. And what I mean by that is. People coming from my background were used to a very instant gratification, getting things very quickly, having you know, taking what we want, having it come to us, and that was absolutely not the case when I got out. I mean, I was riding the city bus and putting my bicycle on it and commuting from Orlando to St. Cloud, you know, three hours a day sometimes plus on the bus just to get to work to make $11 an hour. Mm-hmm. You know what? And I was happy to have it. And I was just, I would have went and lived in the woods before I went and committed a crime and went back to prison. That's just where I was at. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be like the word says, it'd be a dog returning to his own vomit. I did yeah. not want that. So I did what I had to do. And I just kept on uh, trusting on the Lord to sh- make the way and show me the path. That's why I say People can be successful. I feel getting out of prison if they don't if they don't have a walk with with the Lord and and more power to them, you know. But for me, it was not going to happen. Wow, it sounds like you had some really great support with people who are not shunning you and not avoiding you, but they were right there with you. So when I was incarcerated, I was in an arts program, arts and crafts program, which they don't no longer have, and back then they still had it at Tomoka Correctional in Daytona Beach. Mm-hmm. And a local church, First Presbyterian downtown, back then the uh, the pastor there was uh, Dr. Howard Eddington. Oh, yes. And they put on an art show for us out of Tomoka. One of the guys there had a family member that went to that church, blah, blah, blah. So I remember I sent some of my woodworking art out to this, to this, to this show at the church. And some people bought it and actually sent me some money to my account for it. And literally, this was like one of the only churches I knew that took any interest in us when when I was incarcerated. 
So it had an effect on me and it gave me a name within the community. So when I got out, I was literally living like a mile away from there. So it, it's funny, like, you know, I'm, like we, we preface where I'm starting a nonprofit and I'm trying to help people. But even back just upon my release, everybody was calling me, guys I had been locked up with and everything. Hey, I'm, I'm looking for work. Hey, I'm trying to do this. Hey, I need a ride, you know. So I was getting overwhelmed with all the people you know, calling me trying to mm-hmm. get assistance. I was, I was on the struggle bus myself. You know, I'm, I'm barely staying afloat as it is. We've got one minute here. Go ahead continue the story. We'll take a break and then we'll finish up in a moment. So I, you know, I'm on the struggle bus and I said, you know what? I need to get down to this church that I've heard of. And I looked online and they had like a 12 step program or something there. So I was like, and it was actually the church next door. I didn't really realize First Pres is right next to this other church, hmm. but I went down there looking to get these guys some help. So I ended up, I ended up at the wrong place, but it was actually the right place. It was First Presbyterian, without me realizing it. I was looking for the Baptist church next door mm-hmm. for the twelve step meeting. But anyway, that's yeah. a whole other story. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's a great story, and we're going to hear more from Paul Del Favero. He's my guest today. What an amazing example of God's grace is this man. And we'll continue with him when we get back after this break. This is Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. If you've considered the natural beauty of a wood floor, then go with a winner. Ability Wood Flooring has been a trusted source and family-owned and operated since 1950. Ability Wood Flooring is voted best of the best and are featured on A&E's Zombie House Flipping. Ability proudly works with Florida's top builders, winning many awards in the Parade of Homes. Get a free design consultation today. AbilityWoodFlooring.com My guest is Paul Del Favero, and he is a person that has come out of a lifestyle that led him to about 18 years in a, in a uh, state prison in the prison system. Not just one prison, he visited several. Uh, around the state of Florida and got out at age 38 about 12 years ago, I guess now, right? Yes, sir. And so your story is compelling, man. And I'm just so grateful. I mean, you think about you, you were telling us about going for a 12 step program, ending up in the, a different church building, but it was the right church building. And now the senior pastor there is a good friend, David Swanson at first press. And so that's really great that you had the kind of support that people really need when they, uh, when they are in this situation that you are. Yeah. I, I ended up at first Presbyterian and I was the first day I went there. I, I got a pass from the woman at the desk and I told her I'm looking for the 12 step meeting. She goes, Oh, well you can go upstairs and look around and, and find it. And I'm like, okay. So I'm just like wandering the halls of this church. <laughs> and I'm going door to door. God bless all the people. There was like some little ladies in a knitting class and they're like, no, this isn't the drug program. So, <laughs> I was there for like, I don't know, like 20 minutes going door to door. And finally, I'm on the hallway and I said, God, look, there's one door left here on the left. If this ain't it, I'm going home. I give up. So I went over. I knocked on the door, opened it. And there were some guys sitting in there. And I said, is this the the 12 
step program? And they looked at me and said, no. And I, I, I was like, well, I'm, I'm looking to try to get some help for some guys getting out of prison. And I don't know where to go. I just figured maybe a 12-step program would be the place to start. And the one guy goes, well, the 12-step program's at the church next door. But the other guy stands up and says, but maybe I can help you. He says, my name is Scott Lee. I'm with Good News Jail and Prison Ministries. And this is the guy that works with me. This is a guy named Jeremiah. And I was like, okay, God, all right, maybe this is the person. So I started talking to Scott, got his information. So I'm talking to Scott. I'm telling him about how I just got out and I'm I'm trying to put myself back together. And he says, well, you got a church? I said, uh, no, sir. I said, I've been meaning to go to one. I said, but I've been, you know, I haven't figured out where to go yet. I said, well, how about I just go to your church with you? And he got real quiet. And I said, Is it, what's up? And he's like, you know what? He goes, I'm going to take you with me. He goes, I, I think he says maybe 10 years ago, they might not have been ready for you. He says, but I think they're ready for you now. I said, okay. So I started attending um, First Presbyterian downtown and God bless those people. And I could see then where God was laying the work for me to be able to form this ministry now. So the people in the Sunday school class with me were, you know, Scott Lee, who was with Good News Jail, and Jeremiah, who I told you about. And then I also met uh, Judge Alan Lawson from the 50 CA, who was now, who just retired from the Florida Supreme Court. Me and him and his wife and his kid all became really good friends. In fact, his daughter Leah with Paper Cranes Media just is the one who just set up my website for my nonprofit. Oh, wow. I ended up becoming good friends with Chris King who was um, the guy who runs Elevation Financial. I know if you remember, he ran for governor a few years. Mm-hmm. He was on my son to him and his wife, Kirsten. And Kristen, and they, uh, he was one of the main people now that was contributed and donated to me to help help get me going. At least, you know, get me a, a little bit of capital to get started out of what I've taken out of my own pocket. And I mean, Mike Welker was there. He was instrumental and you know, like you mentioned, Pastor Swanson, you know, I remember, I remember one month they came and uh, said, you know, Hey, we have a little uh, benevolent fund here and we're going to, we're going to pay your, your rent for the month. And you, you would not believe what a difference a thousand dollars made in my life at that point. I was, I mean, a hundred bucks seemed like a million bucks to me at that point. Mm -hmm. And I was doing all I could to stay afloat. And uh, the people in that, in that Sunday school, in that church, were just so instrumental in helping me and, and my friend Chuck Price and his wife Melissa. I can't say enough about them. They uh you gotta remember I had no idea what to do in a lot of areas. And I would call these people up with the silliest questions like, you know, what 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 bank should I go to? And what, you know, do I get a checking? Do I got I had no I had zero clue of what to do in society as a as a as a quote unquote regular person. You know, so these people were just unbelievably helpful and patient. I love to hear this. And, uh, and, and, you know, and, and, and these are like wildly successful people, you know, and for them to get their hands dirty and even mess with me or even interact with me in my life was just, was a very profound experience for me, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot from those people and they, and, you know, obviously the gospel and the teachings and, and these people working through the body of Christ to help me establish and, and get set up. And I remember a guy named Tad Smith said to me, hey, uh, can I interest you in maybe going to a program, you know, called the Jobs Partnership? Uh, he didn't get past jobs and I was on board because, like I said, I was definitely struggling. And at that time, I don't really know if Jobs Partnership is really uh, accepting convicted felons, but 
you know, I had some people kind of vouch for me, for lack of a better word, and they got me in. And I remember going to the uh, classes down there off Mercy Drive, down there with, you know, Pastor Andrews. And uh, that led me from there about six months out of graduating that program. I was able to get a little better job working at Florida Fruit and Vegetable over mm-hmm. here with Alan Hare and Lisa Newman and Mike Stewart. And I was there for quite a few years. And then another gentleman I met named Jerry Botts through there was uh, friends with my friend Cleet Simmons. And then I was able to get another job and I was able to progress my career. So I'll I'll tell you this, not to get in all the details, but I went from making $11 an hour when I got out of prison to making a six figure salary before I left my job. Now that's amazing to form this ministry. Wow. And you're forming this ministry. It's a nonprofit. Tell us about the name of it. Cause I love it. It's called the Penitent Thief Incorporated. <laughs> that is so great. And it's a... Oh, my goodness. If, if you go to our website, uh, thepenitentthief.org, it has a little story and, and you know everything on there. Of, but the name was just inspired because you know when Jesus is on the cross, if you remember the thief to the right of him said, hey, when you get to where you're going, maybe you'll think about me. Mm-hmm. After he stuck up for Jesus to the thief on the left, and Jesus said, you know, tonight you'll see paradise. So, I mean, like one of the first people Jesus took to heaven with him was a, was a convict, wow. you know? So, I mean, it's just, you know, Matthew, you know, it talks about, you know, when I was in prison, you came to me, you know, all the apostles pretty much were locked up. I remember I read a book called the Fox's book of martyrs when I was on my mm-hmm. walk and I, I just couldn't believe, you know, I, I read a lot of word, but I, any doubt I had in my mind about, about Christ and everything that happened when I was reading about how the apostles and all those people were just brutally murdered and, and the people, all the other followers with them, there's no way no one was going to die like that over a prank. There was no way someone's going to die like that over a lie. I mean, right. I mean, these people really experienced something in their life and, 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 right. and it was meeting Jesus. And, uh, I can think back to my addiction and all the thing. You could have talked to me about Buddha and Allah and all the other things. And I've, I've dabbled in reading all those, all those texts. And the only name that ever used to invoke anything in me was Jesus. Mm. When someone would say the name Jesus, I wanted back in the day, I wanted to rip their head off. I wanted to fight looking back. Why, why was that? Because that name has power in it. Mm-hmm. That name Anger the demons in me. I didn't want to hear that name. You know, that's, that's insightful. That's amazing. So, you know, here I am now on this walk. And like I said, these, these people that I met over a decade ago, I used to go with Scott and we would talk to people kind of doing a little bit of awareness about, about prison and about, you know, some of the struggles. And I said to myself then over a decade ago, I said, you know, I would like to do this. I would like to be able to help people. But at that point, I was so deep in the struggle that I didn't have an exclamation. I didn't have a quote-unquote happy ending to put on it. I didn't have enough of a proof of concept then to start this ministry. You know, but nowadays I'm working on, you know, over 13 years now I've been out. I, uh, I haven't been good at everything. I've had some, you know, failed marriage. I've had different things that have happened. I have failed in a lot of ways, Mike. I have, I have been far from perfect, brother but I have been really good at staying out of prison. I have been really good at that. And uh, I, I really feel like God has given me a, a, a unique perspective and a unique ability to be able to tell people how I did it. And my hope for this program that I've started, I'm fledgling. I'm still waiting on my full designation from the IRS mm-hmm. for my 1023 to be fully tax exempt. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, they're, they're a little bit behind right now, but that's a whole other story. But, um, 
I started with my own capital and my own stuff. And like I said, Chris King and some other people did help me. God bless them, you know, but uh, God really put this on my heart. So I, I jumped out on faith to do this. And, you know, as far as the nuts and bolts of the program, I'm gonna, we're going to have a 12-week course behind the gate, which I've already got permission to go in the Polk CI. And if you think getting approved as a convicted felon with my past to go back behind the gates is an easy process, you are wrong. But what is, hey, what God is for you, who could be against you? Mm -hmm. So I got permission to get behind the gates. Thank to some uh, Jordan Moyer and some wonderful people in Tallahassee that, you know, took a chance on me. I want to understand what got you to prison and what we're going to do to keep you out of prison. Right. What and, can you learn differently? Yeah. I mean, is your new plan just the old plan again? Mm -hmm. You know, what are we doing? Have we addressed the issues that got you here in the right. first place? Yeah. You know, we need to really get into this. So many people think that they can continue doing the same things. It's the old definition of insanity, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I Do the same thing, but expecting a different result. I also, um, I got in touch with Tiffany Hawkins from Orangewood. She's a mental health counselor and me and her, you know, mostly her, God bless her. She has assembled a whole team of, of counselors that are willing to work on a sliding scale to provide counseling for guys getting out. And that mm -hmm. was a huge thing for me. You know, there's all these, there's all these programs for, you know, the veterans and, you know, you know, abuse women and, and, and God bless them. Those are all monumental programs. Like those need to be there. God bless those people. But when you think about people getting out of prison who have experienced a whole lot of the same things, there's nobody addressing these problems. Right. There's nobody, you know, because it's not sexy helping ex-convicts. Right. No one. Oh, yeah. It, this is not a, it's yeah. not an easy sell. Right. You know, people aren't feeling this. <laughs> but there's nobody that I think could do it as well as what you can do it with the heart and with the, the understanding, the experience that God has given you. I appreciate it, man. I, I, I just got to say your story about that meeting with those that you kind of interrupted where the guy stood up and he said, maybe I can help. Amen. That might be the title of your book, buddy. Maybe I can help <laughs> because I think you are a help. I well, really do. I, I am trying to it. I have, I have, I have big aspirations and hopes for this ministry. And I, I, I just, I'm just a champion of people. I yeah. care about people. You know, I, I don't deal with sexual predators. I don't deal with all that. I am not, I'm not cut from that fabric of how to help those people. I don't know, but I'm dealing with guys who are, who are come from a similar background mm -hmm. to myself. It's part of my application behind the gate. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm going to have a class out here in the community as well. I just, like I said, I'm just starting and uh, we're having a fundraiser this month coming up on the 21st of September. We had somebody who was kind enough to donate a venue to have that. And, you know, you guys can go to the website, dependentandthief.org, and if you want to come and sign up and be part of it. And another neat part of that was while I was locked up, I was friends with uh, Al Black, one of the original uh, Florida Highwaymen. Mm -hmm. Me and him were locked up together wow. at Tomoka, and he's actually sponsoring us with helping us with paintings and things for auction. Wow. And he's going to be there and actually auction off his services to come paint for people as part of helping us raise funds. I've just had a lot of wonderful people pull together to help me start getting this going. I don't have any funding yet, but uh, I'm I'm counting on God to do big things. Yes. Give us the website one more time before we go. It's thepenitentthief.org. Paul Del Favero, thank you for being with me today. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you. God bless. And we'll see you all next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. <laughs>